Welcome to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. We have reached the halfway stage of the Australian Open and let me tell you, there have been lots of different emotions across the space of this week. We will dissect those emotions. We will also dissect what's been happening on the court, off the court, around the court, everything that you need to know and we'll look ahead to week two. Plenty to come in terms of the Australian Open, but a body of work we need to dissect. And to help me do the dissecting, I'm Peter Mercado, and I'm delighted to be alongside my AO Radio colleague, Chris Bowers. Chris, how are you holding up after week one of the Australian Open? It's been a week that I will never forget. I mean, I've been coming here since 1993, and obviously I remember my first trip, and I remember a few isolated incidents, but it's, there's never been anything quite like the, the roller coaster of this one. Um, and yes, uh, I think it takes a lot out of us, but on the other hand, I think we're incredibly fortunate to be at a tennis event. We've had some great moments this week. We've had some uh, rather deflating moments, but... Um, I suppose this is what sport's about. You get, you take the ups with the downs and the downs with the ups and uh, you view the whole thing as just a very fortunate package. Well, in our last podcast, Chris, we were really excited about the crowds returning and the buzz that was going to be around the stadium. And there was all the way through Monday to Friday. On Friday afternoon, the Victorian government concerned about uh, some cases of COVID out there in the local community decided to impose a five-day lockdown period starting on the Saturday. We're recording this on the Sunday. And for two days, we've had no fans. We've had to react. It's what the only tournament where we've started off with fans and now we don't have any for a while. We hope that they'll come back later on. But it's been a bizarre situation, a lot of adjustment to get ready to. But the team here at Tennis Australia has done a great job to facilitate it. Yeah, I mean, look, we can view the glass as half full or half empty. I mean, you, at one level, it's a bit like sort of offering a child sweets and then take them, taking them away at the last minute or maybe giving them one and then saying, no, you can't have the rest. On the other hand, we had five fantastic days which reminded us of just what tennis with excited spectators could be. It took a couple of days to get going, but on Wednesday night we had the Kyrgios uh, match against Ugo Umber, which I know we'll come back to in a minute. On Friday night we had Kyrgios against Team. Those were two fantastic matches in between. There was Kokonakis against Tsitsipas. So, you know, we had that reminder of what it's all about. And then we had the reminder that we are still in the midst of this pandemic. And, you know, you can look at different countries and how they've handled it. But the fact is, there is this highly transmissible strain uh, went from uh, one case in a quarantine hotel to 13 cases. And they said, right, let's see if we can nip this in the bud with a five day lockdown. We're still not sure whether it will only be five days. But the fact is, that was a measure taken. None of us liked it, but I think we all respected it. And it changed the nature of the tournament, but it changed it back to what it was like um, just a few months ago so in a way it's what has to happen at the moment to keep tennis going. We had the situation where it uh, was uh, in the Novak Djokovic match against Taylor Fritz that uh, there was a marker because the the restrictions came into place the lockdown at 11.59 on that evening on the Friday evening Djokovic and Taylor Fritz were still playing to give spectators time to get home they announced that at 11.30 Everyone had to leave the stadium. It's one of the few times, I think the only, only time, I think, where spectators have been asked to leave before a match has actually been completed. Yes, it was a remarkable situation. On the other hand, I'm also um, mindful of the fact that had that happened during the Kyrgios team match, it would have been a lot harder to do. The, the Rod Laver Arena had a number of people in it, probably about 1,500 
Uh, most of them went quietly. A few of them were um, uh, very disgusted to be asked to leave. A couple of them shouted that they wanted a refund. And given that they missed, what, about another 40 minutes of the match, um, you, you know, I understand where they're coming from. But Tennis Australia has run the Australian Open based on the rules laid down by the government of Victoria and the federal government of Australia. And it's had to abide by those. And had the tournament been seen to have said, oh, look, let people stay till the end of the match, it would have been in breach of the very rules and it would have breached the trust as well as the rules. And yeah. therefore, it had no choice in that. So, yes, it was a bizarre event. It's one of the many events that will, you know, stand out. But... Uh, in a way, it was right simply because there is a much bigger priority than tennis at the moment, and that is getting on top of this virus. It certainly is. So we'll wait and see. It's been that sort of tournament where we've had uh, all sorts of different things that we've had to adapt to. It's been a very different Australian Open, and that will continue into next week. Now, a couple of things we want to tick off. We're going to talk about our week one moments, and rather than go through absolutely everything, we've narrowed them down to three each. But I want to talk about the top two seeds first. Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal. Novak Djokovic first because he, a great performance. He's now 12-0 against Milos Ranić in terms of their head-to-head. He did it in four sets. There was all the talk coming into the match and he said it himself and he's, after his match against Taylor Fritz that he was feeling injured, the abdominal muscles. He was going to get work on it, come out, see how it goes. We were thinking leading up to the match that he might not play. Where was he practicing? He was practicing behind closed doors and maybe a little bit of secrecy there. He turned up, and while he might have been feeling something, it was still a great performance from Novak Djokovic and indicates that you know, he is up and, and ready to push for a, another tilt at another Australian Open title. No, And he did say in his post-match on court, if it was any other tournament, he would pull out. But because this is a major tournament, he's sticking around. Do you know, years ago, I asked Boris Becker, who I thought had a, a niggling injury, I said, are you fully fit? And he hesitated and then said, yes. And I said... You hesitated. And he said, look, every top player's got injuries. Everybody is carrying something. It is such a physical sport. And it's even more physical now than it was in his day. And um, I think, therefore, everyone's carrying something. There's doubts about Nadal. Does Nadal have a back problem or a shoulder problem? Um, Yes, Djokovic clearly did something. He aggravated one of his abdominal muscles during the match against Taylor Fritz. And for a while, he couldn't do any upper body rotation. But um, I'm not saying this is a criticism. It's just part of the character of Novak Djokovic. He has never underestimated his injuries. Remember all those retirements he had in the early part of his career? He's very aware of his body. He always has been. And uh, he... Uh, I think slightly exaggerated that when he said it was an abdominal tear I thought well there's absolutely no way he could play against Raonic not only did he play but he played extremely well how fit he is going into week two I don't know but he is Djokovic there is an aspect of the El Cid about him even a wounded um, iconic warrior has power even if they're not 100%. And that is what the rest of the field, or the three players who might yet face him in the rest of this tournament, have to deal with. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, well, you mentioned Rafael Nadal there, and coming in, didn't play the ATP Cup. Thoughts about, you know, how is he going to go in his opening couple of matches? Well, he hasn't dropped a set on his way through to the uh, fourth round here. He's got Fabio Fanini coming up, so another step up for him. But he's passed every test so far. He has. And then he's had an easier draw than Djokovic has had. Oh, he has. And um, no disrespect to the three men he's beaten. And it is a distinct step up with uh, 
Fonini in the fourth round. Having said that, Nadal, I said this is last week's um, podcast, Nadal knows his body. He knows what he needed. He, you know, he's never that comfortable on hard courts, not because he dislikes them, but because he grew up on clay and he actually found the adjustment from clay to grass easier than the adjustment from clay to hard. And it all comes down to knowing exactly what the ground does under his feet. And he's never quite sure on hard because it is so unforgiving. And therefore, he just knows that he has to come into this Australian Open with more rest than matches. And we all assume that Nadal needs matches, otherwise he's never quite as um, match-ready as uh, other players might be. But he also knows that he can get going and he, you know, he's not scared of a few long matches in the early part of the tournament. And he's gone very successfully through the first week. Yeah, he'll be very happy with his work after the first week. Right, our week one moments. Let's run through them. I'll go through my three and then you can go through your three go for and we'll it. compare notes as we go along. So on night one, we had Yannick Sinner and Denis Shapovalov and all the talk coming in when the draw was announced was that particular match as a standout of the opening round and it lived up to the billing it was so exciting Sinner who played a large amount of tennis heading in he won the title last week one of the the two ATP 250s last week comes in against Shapovalov who played some tough matches in the ATP Cup and just ebbed and flowed the thing I said in, in commentary at the time was if this is to be the future of tennis say for the next decade or so then we're in safe hands because those two put on an absolute show Sinner was counted out so many times throughout that match got off to a good start Shapovalov if you wanted to isolate the on the evolution of Denis Shapovalov isolate that second set because Sinner was playing lights out tennis he was all over him Shapovalov though slowly chipped away and turned the match in his favor we thought Sinner would go away he came back not enough gas in the tank in the fifth set, but it was an intriguing match and looking forward to seeing those two battle it out for the next 10 years. Absolutely. When I was commentating on that, I said uh, this could well be a Grand Slam final in five years' time. Yep. You're right in retrospect. I thought that and the um, uh, Cilic-Dimitrov uh, first round match would be the highlights of the first day but actually Dimitrov has been playing so well this week to the point where he's into the quarterfinals having put put out the US Open champion Dominic team so um, there you go that was snuffed out as a spectacle but I quite agree with you the Sinner Shapovalov was a fantastic match we should mention that we are recording here at Melbourne Park of course uh, no fans means we can hear absolutely everything going around us so a tram cleaning truck has just passed us so that's what you get. We get it all happening here on the podcast. Realistic. We talk about the strength of Italian tennis. Two Italian players took each other on on uh, John Kane Arena. Both senses of the word. Fabio Fanini and Salvatore Caruso. Well, that was a ding-dong battle. Went all the way to the, the fifth set tie break. That was a ding-dong battle because Caruso was up and then Fanini pegged him back and it was tied. It went for about 25, 26 minutes, that final set tie break intriguing the first four sets were okay it went up a gear in the fifth it went up a further gear in that tie break and then at the end there were heated words backwards and forwards between the two but they say it's okay right there now. was a handshake there was a handshake but <laughs> that was just the the, the, the entree the, the entree yes and then they decided to have words out there on the court and uh, both of them wanted to play it down afterwards and they say they're friends and all of that but that was just bizarre but it's just that Italian flair that you saw but it was more the match tiebreak for me rather than what happened in the aftermath yeah but Fanini was behind for almost all that tiebreak yes and 
he, he managed to come back. Fanini is playing the godfather role to this young generation of uh, Italians. It's some it's a role I never expected him to play. I suppose he's a dad these days, so, you know, uh, he's used to being the wise one. We don't think of him as that. But I think he's rather enjoying this role. And I think he's also enjoying showing, you know, the likes of Zinner and Berrettini and Musetti and Travaglia and uh, Caruso that actually he's still the guy to beat. And my last one, can I mention him? Two words, Aslan Karatsev. I am dining out on this big time because he has made a big jump. He's outside the world's top 100, managed to qualify for the Australian Open. He is just flying through the draw. He's had some big wins along the way. His latest uh, was Felix Ogelli, seen from two sets to love down in his first ever match that has gone five sets. Incredible well, from him. Well, dear listener, if you're wondering why Peter's so excited, we have this time capsule, which you may have heard us do. And Peter came up with this rather left-field suggestion that this chap that none of us had heard of, Aslan Karatsev, would be the breakthrough player of the year. And actually, Peter, I think you may have actually been... Uh, he may have done all your work for you this fortnight. He may well have gone up so far in the rankings that no one can catch him uh, in terms of... Um, the breakthrough player by November. The only disappointing thing, he beat Diego Schwartzman out. ATP Tennis Radio's very own Diego Schwartzman <laughs> along the way. Got Grigor Dimitrov coming up, but I think it's a fantastic story. It is. On the Challenger Tour, late bloomer. He's earned enough money here to, uh, I think, that he has in his entire career. I mean, it's fantastic. It shows the depth in Russian tennis. I'm going to stop talking about him because I might be talking about him in our next podcast after the Australian Open's done. You probably will, yeah. And and why not? It's a great story, actually. I would have picked two of your three, uh, only I didn't. Um, Go on. What have you got? Zina Shapovalov, and I'd have picked uh, Karatsev as well. Um, For me, the Kyrgios... um, both Wednesday and Friday, the match against Ugo Umber. I commentated on the match point on that one, and I said this is exactly what tennis has been missing. We've been waiting 11 months for this. We've been missing the crowds, and tennis with atmosphere is back. And it was. And it was back on Friday as well, when uh, he was two sets to love up, and then Dominic team worked his way back into it. And the crowd were tennis literate enough to know that although their man had lost they had witnessed something very special and those two matches did add up to something very special and of course it made the absence of fans on Saturday onwards that much more disappointing but hey we had that and I would rather be grateful for what we've had than go too big on lamenting what we've lost since then Um, I think my second one has to be Kokonakis against uh, Tsitsipas this was magical for a couple of reasons one Melbourne is a very Greek community Kokonakis is a Greek Australian he has both passports Um, but also Kokonakis has come back from horrendous injuries and uh, I ended week one by doing an interview with him for Uh, ATP Tennis Radio, which is now on the Exclusives channel, um, talking about his comeback and all the things he's had to go through. And it just meant that that match against Tsitsipas had some extra magic in it. He was back. Had he lost 6-1, 6-1, 6-1, it would still have been a magical story for Kokonakis. The fact that he was out on the Rod Laver Arena in the second round of the Australian Open. The fact that it went to five sets just made it a fantastic contest. But I think Tsitsipas could do well in the second week. It's interesting because you've got Kyrgios and Kokonakis. They ended up playing doubles, got through around there. And that was a great story too. And they've had a lot of fun out on the court. And and it was fun. They were really enjoying it. And in a way, I think... You, you could actually watch that uh, video and say, this, folks, who play dub- doubles at the club level or public parks, that is what fun doubles is supposed to be about. Well, talking of Aussies, coming up next, we'll be hearing from Alex Dimonor and we'll also be looking ahead to the second week. We'll be checking out the doubles draw 
And we'll ask who's looking in the best form. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast with me, Peter Mercado, alongside Chris Bowers. So we're back in lockdown life here in Melbourne after 111 days previously. But one Australian experiencing it for the first time after returning home for the first time in almost a year is the country's number one player, Alex Dimonor. ATP Uncovered caught up with him to talk about what his experience of lockdown in Spain was like. I don't think since I started playing tennis, I had been so long in the same spot. I spent my lockdown in Alicante, Spain. You know, at the start it wasn't really an issue. A lot of people didn't think it was too serious, but uh, as the time went by, everyone took it more seriously and health precautions and measures uh, came into place. And it was something very new for me and something I wasn't used to. And uh, it's safe to say that after three, four weeks, definitely ready to, to go somewhere. I'm not very good at staying in the same spot for a long time, so it was a very tough time for me. I would be anxious, nervous, uh, I would have uh, bad days. Uh, it was just, if, it were, if I wasn't on my phone, I was on TV. If I wasn't on TV, I was on PlayStation. If I wasn't on PlayStation, it was just back to the iPad. It was just way too much, to the point where I honestly thought that I needed to get rid of all electronics. Hi, I'm Alex Dimonor, and today I'm taking on Australia's fittest man and CrossFit athlete, James Newbury. I had to find things to kind of keep me focused, motivated, and... What a day to be alive. Fitness was one of them. Damn, I'm loving this. Uh, In-house exercises, and a couple things here and there, trick shots. <laughs> that was one of the best things I've done in quarantine. The coin into a fork, that was uh, that took a long time. The sense of relief when you actually made it was, uh, was a pretty good feeling. They kind of got my competitive juices flowing. I spent hours and hours on end trying to hit a, a certain trick shot. I had one which was uh, a pretty lengthy chip. That one was probably the most frustrating. <laughs> I lost the club over that. That's the only thing that kind of got me through the, the routine part of it because if not, then the days wouldn't go by. So I, I had to kind of make sure I was doing my thing every day, keeping a routine, and that was one way to make the time uh, pass by quicker. I learned that I didn't enjoy uh, living by myself as much. As soon as quarantine was done, I realized that you know I wanted to have someone with me. I was able to have uh, little Enzo who's not so little anymore. He knows how to play fetch. He doesn't uh, understand about not drinking uh, the pool water and he loves jumping in the pool. So I've got to sort that out. I stayed in touch with, with the family, uh, a couple of the players, um, my team, uh, especially just to make sure my body kept functioning. The tour came back, it was, um, it was difficult. It was different. Um, as much as, you know, we all loved uh, tennis being back, it was just uh, a different type of tennis than how it was before. I guess we all kind of 
had a little bit of hope that it was gonna be somewhat back to normality, but it's still not the case. The bubbles, uh, the time at the hotel, not being able to leave. It's something new, but uh, I guess we're gonna have to get used to it. Alex Demonor there with ATP Uncovered. Chris, any trick shots? Did you actually, you had your racket with you? Have you tried any trick shots while you're in quarantine? I've bounced a ball on the strings and it's gone no further than that. Though I did walk past the Melbourne Cricket Ground. I have this little apartment I rent and a 15 minutes walk right past the Melbourne Cricket Ground. And there was a guy hitting a tennis ball against uh, a, a windowless wall. And I thought, wow you found the right place to do this because it was as good as any club wall and uh, he had a nice backhand. Well, let's uh, look ahead to week number two of the Australian Open. Still some fourth round matches at the time of our, our recording to come, but some quarterfinals have been sorted. We've got Djokovic taking on Zverev. We've got Dimitrov taking on Karatsev. Some of the other side of the draw, we've got Rublev taking on Rude in a fourth round match. McDonald, Mackie McDonald taking on Daniel Medvedev. Stefano Tsitsipas against Matteo Berrettini. Fabio Fanini and Rafael Nadal. As we assess all of this, where are the leading contenders? Apart from Djokovic, apart from Nadal, let's find some others. Well, I think Zverev could find himself in contention for this. Um, I've never been entirely sure about Zverev, but he does seem to produce the results at regular intervals. I don't think he's played his best tennis, but that may mean there's room for more. Um, I think the fact that he got to the US Open final, he has moved up incrementally. You know, we talked a long time about how this uh, promising guy could never get to the quarterfinals of a slam. He eventually did. He then made it to the semifinals this time last year. Then in September, he made it to the final of the US Open. You never know. He might be ready to go one further on this occasion. So uh, there are still plenty of names left in the tournament who could end up lifting the trophy. Though, you know, because the generation of uh, Nadal, Djokovic, Federer have been so dominant, you have to say that even with whatever injuries they may be carrying, they are the guys that will be so difficult to dislodge. Andre Rublev, I mean, we've got the Italians and we've got the Russians. They competed in the final of the ATP Cup. Rublev, an opportunity here, maybe a Rublev-Medvedev quarterfinal coming up. The remarkable thing is that I was thinking, we've been looking at those three Russians for a long time, Rublev, Medvedev and Hachanov, and it looked like they would be occupying positions five, six and seven in the quarterfinal lineup. And then Hachanov was beaten by Berrettini, but Karatsev then came through. I don't think any of them will get to the final. If one of them does, it'll be Medvedev, who could well play a fantastic match against Nadal in the semi-finals uh, in the bottom half of the men's draw. But he's the one I think is most likely. I think he's also got rid of his one bad match where he uh, was two sets to love up and then suddenly found himself pegged back by um, Filip Krajinovic, eventually winning in five. We've got Berrettini, you've got Tsitsipas, Sefanos, maybe? Yes, Tsitsipas may be the, uh, the, the player who could surprise us. Again, I have a feeling he needs to get to a final before he can win one. So he could get to the final, but I'm not sure he's ready to win it. It depends, of course, who he's up against. If he's up against somebody who he feels he's the equal of, fine. If Tsitsipas were to get to the final against Djokovic, I'm not entirely sure whether he'd believe he can win. If it was against Zverev, I think he would believe he could. It doesn't seem like a fait accompli that you've got Djokovic versus Nadal in the final. Yes, it might be trending that way on what we've actually seen, but I think 
you know, there are so many other players coming, and eventually we're waiting for this tipping point of going, it's not a, a lockdown that these two are, well, there's a horrible word, uh, that Nadal and Djokovic are actually going to be playing off in the final. I still think that there is chance here that, that we're going to see some different names yes, competing. It's, it's possible that neither Djokovic and Nadal will be in the final. Um, I don't think either of them have been playing particularly well, and there's obviously question marks about the fitness of both of them. I think there's question marks about the fitness of a number of people still left in the tournament it is a very physical sport and not everybody has put the work in that they would have wanted to put in whether because of quarantine or because of restrictions last year or, or whatever so I think it makes it very very interesting but uh, no you're right I don't think we should assume it is going to be Djokovic and Nadal but I think that they are still the ones to beat all right well you're going to make a, a more fulsome prediction yeah okay I'm going to go for Medvedev against Zverev in the final Oh, okay. So you're discounting it completely. Okay, okay. I'm going to go. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I'm going to go to Nadal because wow, well, push the boat out there. Tell you, we haven't talked about Grigor Dimitrov, by the way. No. Not, not that I'm suggesting he's going to make his way to the final, but he's played big... very well. But he's under the radar now. He will be above the radar, having beaten Dominic Team and beaten him impressively. I didn't think after he won the first set. I know <sighs> Team was struggling a little bit, but I still thought Team would come back. Now that Dimitrov has done that, he will be above the radar and he's been in the semi-finals here. So people expect him to get back to the semi-finals and suddenly the pressure's on him. Uh, I can see him beating Karatsev in the quarters. Not sure that he would beat Djokovic or Sverev in the semis. Yeah, well, I would go Karatsev, but I'm not going to push the boat out that fast. I'm going to say Nadal Zverev in uh, the final, potentially. We'll bury that in a time capsule. It's all potential. We'll prove ourselves wrong in our next podcast. Uh, Let's talk quickly about the men's doubles draw. The top seeds, Cabal and Farah, out in round number two. There have been some changes here. Mektik and Pavic, the second seeds, they've made their way through. They're unbeaten this year because they won one of the warm-up tournaments last week. Abair Mahu, the eighth seeds, having a good win. We've got Melo and Takao. We've got Piers and Venus, Murray and Suarez going through. So some some nice partnerships here as we get to the pointy end. There are plenty of contenders for the men's doubles draw. Well, you we just asked me for predictions for the men's singles final. I'll give you a prediction for the men's doubles final. It will be Jamie Murray and Bruno Suarez against Nikola Mektic and Mati Pavic. All right. There's a couple of unseated pairings. It's interesting to see. We've talked a little bit about the Olympics being an Olympic year and some of these partnerships changing where they're from the same country to try and build up um, their points and their performance uh, together. There are some really interesting uh, partnerships building. We might talk about that at a a later stage, um, how the doubles draw draws are playing out and how that might look for the rest of the year and even beyond the Olympics. That's a discussion for another day. Yeah, the Croatians, Pavic and Mektic, I think are, are an example of that. Now, Chris, we've got to be careful because it is quite late at night at the time that we're recording this. We don't want to be ejected like the spectator who uh, decided to have a little go at uh, Rafael Nadal in one of the more lighter moments uh, from during the week. We've got to be careful about this. We don't want to be thrown out as well. Well, actually, if we are thrown out, we might get to bed a little bit earlier. Cause it's, uh, and it's already into the second week here because we're in the small hours of Monday morning. Do you know what I liked about that little incident with Nadal? It was the fact that he did one of the great things that all public figures should be able to do. He was able to laugh at himself. Yes. And uh, the, the woman was having a go at him for the time, having a go at him for some of his personal tics. And when he was aware of what was going on, he had a good laugh about it. And he had another laugh about it when it was mentioned in his press conference. And in a way, it was almost like, you know, so I'm not this guy that everybody likes. Oh, great. There's a few people that don't like me. 
I just love that bit of self-deprecation. And good luck to Nadal on that front because he handled it extremely well. AO Radio does continue all through this week. It is simulcast on ATP Tennis Radio. So please make sure you tune in both the men's and women's matches as we get to the pointy end of the tournament. So that's it. Oh, look, it's been a pretty quiet week, hasn't it, this week? Not much going on in tennis. Ah, no, I suppose not. No, take a break and get some sleep. That's it for another week of the ATV Tennis Radio podcast. Please tune in to the AO Radio coverage via the official tournament website app or tune in via ATP Tennis Radio, which is also available on smart speakers. Well, we will take a breath. We'll lock and load and get ready for week number two of the Australian Open. It should be a great week. In our next podcast, we will have a wrap. We'll be talking to you straight after the men's final. We'll review what's been a big tournament, a big second week, and what's still to come. So for now, stay safe and enjoy the tennis. 